Let's give that hand to the Lord tonight. You can do better. You can do better. Clap your hands, all ye people. And shout with the voice of triumph. Do you have the victory tonight? God is so, so good. I want to say thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. It's always an honor and a privilege to be in Potts Camp. No matter where you go in the world, you hear about Potts Camp. We was at a church just last night, and I was like, hey, those pews came from Potts Camp. It's like you guys are just everywhere. But it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I give honor to the ministry here, to the pastor, to the first lady. It's just awesome. It's always such an honor and a privilege. My name's Ryan Marshall, and I'm a missionary to Papua New Guinea. It's a little place in the South Pacific we're going to hear about tonight. But before we do, I'm going to read a passage, and then we're going to pray. And we're going to hear how good God is. And we always want to make sure we're keeping the main thing the main thing, right? So before we hear about all the crazy things that happened in 2022, I want to take us to a place that's very familiar. And it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's the easy part. If you're humbling yourself and you're praying, you're already seeking the face of God. But then there's a really important word there, and that word is and. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God is healing the country of Papua New Guinea. And revival is being poured out in the South Pacific like we've never seen before. So before we hear about it, how about we pray? And we just ask God to just open this service up to what He wants. Because that's what's important. God, we thank You for this opportunity, Lord, to be gathered together in Your house and in Your name. I step aside and give You reigning control in this service, O Lord. God, everything we do is for You, through You, and by You, O God. O Lord, I pray for a transfer of burden, O God, to be... Be in this house tonight, O oh Lord. God, I lose conviction with every word that comes across this pulpit, O oh God. Lord, let there be revelation given, I pray, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, we praise you, we bless your name. Now's the moment you've all been waiting for. You may be seated. So 2022 was pretty crazy, right? In Papua New Guinea, we have elections every five years. And every five years, they have a key statement. And that statement sounds a lot like this. This is the worst election that's ever been recorded in Papua New Guinea history. Guess what 2022 was? You'll never guess. You spoiled my surprise. It was the worst election that's ever been recorded in Papua New Guinea. People were being murdered almost daily. 
It got to a point to where they were supposed to have the elections in January. They pushed them back. Too many people died. They pushed them back again and again. Finally, they pushed them back to June, which was okay with us because in June we was going to Fiji. And I always get the same look whenever I tell people we was going to Fiji that, huh, so that's where the missions money's going, huh? You guys are going to Fiji. It wasn't all about the ocean, the palm trees, and the coconuts, but it was awesome. But we'll talk about Fiji here in just a little bit. Fiji, we, we have a great work going there, and it's been going since 1994. But we was going to go to Fiji, and everything was going to be okay. Well, we go to Fiji. We had a young man coming from America, and he wanted to experience Papua New Guinea. Well, he came on an election year. He got to experience Papua New Guinea. We, we got back from, from Fiji, and the day that we got back, my son, he was waiting on his friend, so he was going to go to, we call him a Kai bar. And, and at a Kai bar, you get these, like, half-cooked sausages and these flour balls that are, well, flour and balls that they fry. And if you want to know the way to lose weight, Ezekiel, if you guys remember, he was like this tall and like that tall when he laid on his back too last time he was here. Well, he ended up getting malaria and he gets food poisoning about three times a month. So that's the perfect diet plan. If you're, It's the new year, right? But he went to this Kai bar and, and he was gone for about 15 minutes and after he left, we begin to hear three shot burst in the distance. And for those that don't know, that means that there's some guys with machine guns shooting at each other, like right by our house. So I call Ezekiel, but before I do it, as soon as the first shot rings out, all you can hear is his mom. And she goes to her prayer calls and she's just praying heaven down. There's something about a praying mama that, that'll change things, right? But I've always said the number one need of every missionary is prayer, and that's never going to change. The day I stop saying that's the day I turn to my credential. Because no matter how big of a check a church writes to a missionary, when his son is up in gunfire, checks doesn't stop that. Zeros on checks doesn't stop that, but the name of Jesus is where it's at. Whenever we have people praying that God will keep his angels encamped around and about us, that's not just something that we take lightly. That is our number one need, and it always will be. So whenever you think of a missionary coming, don't always think, well, I need to break out the checkbook or, or give as much money as I can. I'm not discouraging you. That's honestly why we're here, right? This is a deputation service. We're here to raise funds. But you have to understand that if you're not praying, the money doesn't matter. Because if we're not praying, then God's not pouring the things out that, that He could be pouring out. So prayer is where it's at. So I called Ezekiel. I said, hey, you got to find another way home. And he's like, yeah, Captain Obvious. I just drove through it, right? I'm calling him, telling him that there's gunshots going off. So he goes the back way home. And whenever he gets there, they say, where are you trying to get to? He tells them. Well, when he tells them where he's trying to go, he said, well, yesterday that would have been okay. But last night, the tribe across the, the river got mad at us, and they burned our bridge down, so you can't go that way anymore. Well, he turned around, he went back towards the gunfire, and he called me, he said, Dad, I got to pull over, I'm going to wait on this thing to, to calm down. He pulled over for about 15 minutes, or 45 minutes, and he called me back, said, Dad, I'm going to give a shot. I said, you just use your best judgment. Whenever he drove by, he, he, he was looking around, and whenever he got home, he told me what he had saw. 
And whenever he told me, you know, that song, we're on the battlefield for our Lord. Sometimes that's a literal thing, right? Because he told me that there was a bunch of, of public motor vehicles, we call them, that, that 26 passenger buses. He said every one of them had the windows shot out and stones were thrown through. They all had all the glass broken. Every car that was on the road was flipped on its side and the glass was out. And he said there were bodies everywhere. And we mourn for those that lost loved ones. We do. But you can't help but to say, thank you, Jesus, for keeping your hand upon my son. Whenever all of that was going on, God, I just want to give you praise, honor, and glory. Because you kept your hand upon him through all of that mess. And I can't thank him enough. A couple of days after that, this young man that was coming from our home church in Newcastle, Indiana. He, he was coming over so that he could, he could be with us for 60 days. He made it two weeks. He, he got there and things just began to get worse and worse. And as things escalated, I, I called Brother Ball. I said, Brother Ball, I, I really don't know what to do. Sometimes you just got to admit it, right? You just got to I, I just don't know what to do. I know God has his hand upon my family. We're called here. We're good. But now we have this extra person in this equation, and I, 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 need, to, I need some guidance. He told me to call Brother Erickson. I called Brother Erickson, and we came up with a plan to go to Port Moresby. And we was going to stay anywhere from five to ten days and fly right back up to, to Mount Hogan where we live. If you Google Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, it'll show you it's the most dangerous capital in the world. But it was our safe place. That's reassuring, right? As things began to progress... They got worse and worse. So I called them again. I said, guys, it's not getting any better. I don't even know if we can get back home. They said, well, they, you need to call Brother Barnett. Brother Barnett is the missionary that was there before us. So I called Brother Barnett. I said, I need some guidance. He said, I am so glad you called. He said, I've seen it get really bad in Papua New Guinea, but I've never seen it get quite this bad. He said, you need to pack your bags Get your wife, get your kids, and get that young man, and you need to get out of Papua New Guinea. So that's what we did. We pushed our flights about two days after that. We flew out. We got to Los Angeles, and my kids and this young man, the whole time we was in Port Moresby, they had found a mall to go to because you've got two adults and three teenagers in a Holiday Inn. Get out, right? We were just like, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. The day that we flew out, I checked the news and they murdered 17 people outside of that mall the same time my kids and that young man would have been there. And again, I can't help but to say thank you, Jesus, for keeping your hand upon my family while we're in Papua New Guinea and these things are going on. The same day that that happened, the government got so scared they, they couldn't get things reined back in. They called the United Nations in. We had tanks and Humvees in the street the same day we flew out. God always knows. He always knows and it's always in His timing. And people often ask me, why in the world would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to something that's so unstable? I want to go back because God called me to preach to nine and a half million people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. 
There's some things you just don't question. God paid the ultimate price for me. The least I can do is go over there and share the gospel to them. We have a video we're going to play real quick. And once it's finished, Ezekiel's going to come up and he's going to speak. And then I'll come up after him. But when, when you're watching this video, I want you to think and I want you to see how great of a move we're seeing in the South Pacific.
fathers and sons are here us from heaven. Send us your presence. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. I love seeing what God's doing in Papua New Guinea. I love seeing what God's not only doing in Papua New Guinea, but around the entire world. And too often we lose sight of the reason that we're here. The reason that we're here is to win souls. We think that we come to church, we get in a routine whenever we go to church on Wednesdays, we go to church on Sundays, and that's the only time that we focus on God. That's the only time that we're going to worship Him. That's the only time that we're going to do anything. But as soon as we go out in the streets, we like to hide who we are. We like to hide that we're Christians and that that's what we're trying to get people to heaven. So what we're doing in Papua New Guinea is that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to get as many people to heaven with us. But being in Papua New Guinea is not easy. I was 14 years old when my parents came and they told me that we were moving there, right? And I didn't want to go. They came back from a mission trip. They said, we're moving to Papua New Guinea. And I said, that's fun for you. I said, you have a great time. I said, you guys go ahead and go. I said, I don't care. Go. And uh, they said, no, you're going with us. And I said, now you sound even more crazy. I said, I'm not going to Papua New Guinea. I didn't even know what Papua New Guinea was. I'd never heard of it. So I go on YouTube that night. I go on YouTube and I, I search Papua New Guinea. The first video that popped up was Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, most dangerous capital in the world. That's reassuring, right? That, that's exciting. That made me really excited to go do some mission work, right? I told my parents after I saw that video the next day, I went to them. I said, guys. I said, I know that this is something that you guys prayed about and you want us to do. I said, but I'm not going. I said, you cannot make me go to Papua New Guinea. I said, if you make me go to Papua New Guinea, you're ruining my ministry. I was trying to think of it in a spiritual way, right? So I said, if you make me go to Papua New Guinea, you're ruining my ministry. I said, I'm, I'm about to start a P7 club. I'm 14, 14 years old. I'm going into high school. And they said, you sound crazy, Ezekiel. You're going. And I said, you can think that. So uh, I called my brother and I said, hey, man, I know you have an extra room in your house. <laughs> I said, that's mine. I said, I'm moving in tomorrow. My brother said, all right, come on over. I told my parents, I went and packed my bags. I told my parents, I said, I'm going. They said, no, you're not. Go back. I said, they said, you can pack your bags, sleep in Papua New Guinea. So uh, after that, I called my grandma, called my dad's mom. And I was like, this is a trump card. He has to do what she says, right? So I called my grandma and I said, your son is making me move to Papua New Guinea. And she called him yelling like none other on the phone, screaming at him, saying, you're not making my grandson move to Papua New Guinea? And all this stuff. And I was like, yes, it worked. He hung up the phone. And uh, about two weeks later, we were on a plane. So, uh, yeah, that's how that worked out, right? So I told my parents before we left, I said, you're making me move. I said, so if you make me move, I'm not learning the language there. I said, I'm not speaking. I said, I'm going to be a brat. I said, I'm going to be a jerk whenever we get to Papua New Guinea. I kept my word. Whenever we got to Papua New Guinea, I didn't learn the language. I didn't speak to anybody. But being a minister's kid is, is difficult sometimes. Every service, my parents made me sit on the platform so everyone could see me be a brat, right? Every service, they made me sit on the platform in front of everybody. And then they, they planned a conference. It was the NYC it was the first time I had any excitement to do anything in Papua New Guinea. There was, there was a little bit of excitement in me, right? Whenever they planned this NYC, I was like, yes, we're going to go to this conference. It's going to be NYC. I got my best suit on. I got dressed up real nice. We got there. My spirit was crushed. Dirt floors. It smelled terrible. It was no electricity whenever we first got there. It was, it was not where I wanted to be. So I shut down as soon as we got there. And every single service, my parents had a guy sitting next to me that would interpret the entire service to me. The songs, the preaching. Halfway through the sermon, I said, man, shut up. I said, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I said, I'm not, I'm not here for church. I said, I'm here because my parents are making me be here. Uh, 
a lot of teenagers can, uh, can relate to that, right? We're only here because our parents make us be here. So I said, don't tell me anything else. I said, I'll, I'll just sit here. I don't have to understand anything. So for the rest of the service, I sat there like a dummy, didn't know anything that was going on. But then at the end of the service, hundreds of young people came to the front. And hundreds of young people started to pray like I'd never seen anyone pray before in my entire life. I'd been to NYCs in America. I'd been to youth conferences and prayer lock-ins and everything. But, but the prayer that I saw at this youth conference, at this altar call, was something I'd never seen before. And I'm being honest, I probably hadn't prayed in months at that point. So at that moment, whenever I looked out, the Lord convicted me. And he spoke to me and said, who are you to think in this way? Who are you to think that you're so, such in a low place because this is in the will of the Lord for you to be here and you're acting the way that you are. You pray for the will of the Lord, but whenever the will of the Lord comes up, you don't want it anymore. And that, that's something that a lot of us do, right? We all say, I want the Lord to move in my life. I want to do amazing things. But as soon as something comes up that we didn't have planned, we stop wanting that. And it's sad, but it's true. So uh, after that service, I was like, let's have another youth conference. I said, this youth conference that I was at, those old men preaching to old men about old men, about things they used to do back in the day. And I was like, that's not how a youth conference should be. I said, let's have something geared toward the youth. So I went to our youth president. I said, we're going to have a youth conference in Mount Hogg in Papua New Guinea. He said, no way, buddy. I said, why? He goes, because the, we're not allowed to do that here. It's too dangerous. Something that you need to understand is that culture in different countries is very different. And it's very hard to do things that you want to do in different cultures. So I had my, my, in my mind, oh, youth are powerful, youth are the future, youth can do anything and, and everything in my mind. So I was like, let's have a youth conference that'll set the youth in Papua New Guinea on fire. So the guy came up to me, he said, no. I said, yes. So we're doing this. He goes, we can't, it's too dangerous. My friends came to me and they said, we're planning this youth conference. Whenever we're with you, we're safe. Whenever we're with you, we can do anything we want. We feel like we're invincible. But as soon as you go away, people are coming to us threatening to skin our parents alive, threatening to burn down our houses and kill us because we're trying to do something better for the youth in Papua New Guinea. So uh, me being the crazy guy that I am, I looked at him and I said, guys, you just need to trust the Lord, right? I said, you just need to trust in God a little bit longer. They said, all right, we'll do that. So I said, if it gets any more dangerous, I said, you guys can come live on the compound with us for, for a couple days before conference and we'll pray and we'll fast over it. And I said, amazing things will happen if you just trust. And they said, okay, so about five days before conference started, about five of my friends came out to the compound and we prayed. And we fasted over this service. The first night of this conference, we opened up the back doors and hundreds of young people filled into, the, into this building. It was a tiny little building too. Hundreds of young people flooded in from different denominations, from different organizations. Those people standing on the outside at the windows looking in at this service. And in that one service in the opening night, we had 38 young people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in the opening night of that service. And... And that's because we did what we knew was right to do. We didn't back down because of the threats. The Bible says, don't be scared of their threats. If you're walking in righteousness, don't be scared of their threats, right? So they were threatening us. They were threatening to do all these things. The amount of times that we've been in situations that are unspeakable is insane. But we continue to persevere and we continue to persist in these areas because we know that it's for the betterment of the kingdom of God. In that youth conference, we had 46 young people receive the Holy Ghost and 16 young people baptized in Jesus' name. And that was only one youth conference. And um, 
I know that the things that my dad said are kind of crazy, right? They're, they're, a lot of the stories that he tells, I'm the main sinner because I like to go run around with my friends. I like to do stuff. So I'm usually in some dangerous situations, right? I've seen things that I couldn't stand up here and say and stay composed. Some of the things that I've seen, I couldn't say without falling apart. And, uh, but whenever I think of those things, the, 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 I, I think of those things, and then immediately what comes after that is thinking of all the souls that are getting baptized, all the souls that are receiving the Holy Ghost in Papua New Guinea. It says in Philippians 4, 9, it says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We say that we've learned to go into the world and share the gospel. We say that we've heard to go and share it to all nations. We've seen miracles, signs, and wonders that cannot be explained by anything but Jesus, right? But as soon as we get into a place to where it's dangerous, we, we stop trusting in the Lord. I got sick. Back whenever I was 16 years old, I got terribly sick. I, I don't even know. Um, I got malaria is what happened. And whenever I had this malaria, I got back home and I laid in bed for about two weeks. In this, two, in this two week period, my, my skin turned yellow, my legs went numb, um, I couldn't get out of the bed, I lost 30 pounds in this two weeks, like my dad said, it's a perfect diet plan. But uh, I lost 30 pounds in this two weeks and I couldn't get out of the bed, I couldn't do anything. And one night at about three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I, I felt like I was dying. I truly felt like I was dying. I was 16 years old, laying in bed, 8,500 miles away from my home with nobody that I knew, laying in bed dying is what I thought. So whenever I woke up, I looked up at the ceiling and the first thing that came out, I'm not super spiritual. I'm not one of those guys. As soon as I thought I was dying, I wasn't like, oh, Jesus, please let me come into heaven. I wasn't thinking like that. I was thinking, I'm going to die alone is the first thing I thought. I'm laying in my bed three o'clock in the morning and I'm going to lay here and I'm going to die alone. I said, I don't want that to happen. So I tried to yell to try to get the attention of anyone else in the house. I tried to punch the wall. My, my arms were too weak to punch the wall. My voice was too weak to scream. My legs were numb. I couldn't get out of the bed. So I, I eventually was able to get a hold of my phone. And every time I would call my parents or my sister, the call would, would go down because they didn't have any service. So I was able to call my sister back in America. Now, I didn't know this. I forgot about this. She said, you called me that night. And I said, no. I said, I don't remember that. She said, yeah, you did. She said, you called me and you said, Harley, I'm dying. And she said, oh, you're, she thought I was joking. I said, Harley, it's three o'clock in the morning. Why would I be calling you to tell a lie? I said, I'm laying here in bed and I think that I'm dying. And I said, stay on the phone with me so I don't have to die alone, is what I said to her. The hospital was closed down because of fighting. They had already almost burnt down the entire hospital. There was no fences. All the doctors had flown back to America. I had no other options at that point. So I was just, I accepted the fact that I was going to die. And then she said the phone call cut off. And, and uh, she, was never, she wasn't able to contact me again. She tried to call back. She tried to text my parents. My mom said she woke up to about 25 missed calls from my sister that night. And uh, I remember laying in bed that night look up, looking up at the ceiling. And I, w- I was obviously crying. I was feeling a lot of self-pity. I was feeling all those things. And uh, the first thought that came to my mind, I started to pray, right? I started to pray, not in a way of, Lord, let me live. I started to pray in a way of, if it's your will, then take me now is what I said to the Lord. I said, if, if I've done everything in my ministry up until this point, if no other souls will be impacted up after this point, then what's the point of me to live and take me now? Is what I said, but if you have more purpose for me in my life, and if more souls are gonna hear about the goodness of your name, then keep me alive for just a little bit longer. 
And I closed my eyes. I was fully expecting not to wake up the next morning. We had already called doctors in America. They told me I was dying. And uh, I closed my eyes and I woke up the next morning. And the first thing that I did whenever I woke up the next morning is, I, I'm a mama's boy, I can say that proudly, I'm not ashamed of that. So I, I had my mom come in the room and I gave her a big hug and I started crying. I said, mom, I was dying last night. And I told my parents what had happened. They came into the room with anointing oil and they anointed me and prayed over me. And within five days, I was up out of the hospital. And in those situations to where you have no other option, that, that's something that, that we take for granted in America. We say that God is our number one, that, that we believe in him for all of our issues, but, but we look at so many other options before we go to him. And we let it get to its worst place, to the worst position that it can be before we go to God. And then after that point, we're going to pray. After that point, we're going to go to the church. After that point, we're going to start trusting in God. But... I was able to, I, I was like that. I didn't pray before that. I didn't do anything. But as soon as I prayed, God answered. If we would have realized it just a little bit sooner, then God would have answered. So while I'm here and I speak on deputation, I like to, I like to say these things not for pity. We're not here for pity. We're here for prayers. We're here for your prayers and support. My dad said, we're not just here for money. It's like whenever I was driving through that gunfire and I saw those people getting shot and I saw those, those buses blowing up on the side of the road, I wasn't thinking, oh man, I wish that those churches filled their monthly commitment forms out this week. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking, I really wish someone's praying for me right now. I really hope that someone is praying for me and someone is seeking after the Lord for me because if not, then I'm not gonna make it out of the situation alive. So whenever we come here, I'm asking you to pray for us. The things that we face, we don't have running water most of the time. I've taken baths in rivers. Um, I get food poisoning all the time, like my dad said. We go through a lot of unique situations that, that some of the things we can't say in a public place, some of the things we can, but, but just remember to pray for us. These things that we go through, nothing can happen without prayer. And remember to pray for Papua New Guinea. The people that you saw in that video, the people that you saw being baptized, the people that you saw receiving the Holy Ghost, it's happening because of you. It's not happening because of us. It, it, it partially is, but you're just as much a missionary here at your home church praying for missions as we are in the mission field doing mission work. So just remember that. If you want to be a missionary, then pray for missions. You don't have to go on a plane. You don't have to buy an expensive plane ticket. Remember to pray for missions, and, and amazing things will happen. You may never see the souls that are impacted by you, but there are souls being impacted by your prayers, and I want you to remember that. Well, on that note, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. No, it, it, it's amazing to be able to just see what God is doing and, and, and just to be able to experience it, you know. It, it, even though it's been a crazy, crazy couple of years, it's been very, very fruitful. Sister Marshall, if you guys remember last time we came here, she really wanted to empower the ladies of Papua New Guinea. So at the end of that video, when you see all of those ladies in that room and they're praying, that's 27 women speaking in tongues and there's not a man in the house. God showed up because she had a vision, she had a passion, and she had a dream. She's taught three children every day, Monday through Thursday, from 9 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. She's taught them how to read, write. English, she has taught them the Bible, and they've taught her a little bit too. 
She's taught three adults how to read, and one of them was a woman. That's good stuff right there. Especially when the women are so oppressed in Papua New Guinea. They, they just try to hold them down as long as, long as they can. I want to tell you a, a, a story that goes back to 1994. And in 1994, there was a family by the name of the Price family that went to Papua New Guinea to, to start a work. And they had one thing in mind going to Papua New Guinea, and that was to start a Bible college. They actually called Brother Price Dean Price whenever he came in because that was his focus. Well, whenever he got there, the government, let that one set in for a while, gave him some paperwork and said, this is what you have to teach. He flips through. He said, I don't believe in any of the things in this, and I will not teach this. They said, well, then you won't have a Bible college. He said, that's fine. I'll just do some home Bible studies, and I'll teach them that way. I'm here to tell you home Bible studies is where it's at. So, so if you was wondering, you know, if you've never got a home Bible study or or given a home Bible study, you need to do it, right? If you give one or get one, you'll fall in love the first time, I promise you. I promise you. Over home Bible studies, over the span of about six years, he was able to plant 16 apostolic churches. God is good. That, that seed was planted in 1994. In the year 2000, the Barnett family came over and they, they went on an exploratory trip to Papua New Guinea. And in 2001, they ended up staying. A lot of people don't realize that Sister Barnett is Brother and Sister Price's daughter. So a lot of the things that they had done in Africa, she had seen over the years. And she had the same vision, the same burden. Over time, though... The people of Papua New Guinea kept hearing, oh, we're going to have a Bible college. And it's kind of like that cousin that you have. It's like, hey, we need to have dinner. Uh-huh. Like, like let, let me go ahead and mark out my calendar for that day that you're never going to show up, right? So they've been hearing this all of these years. So it got to a point where it was just an automatic, you know, they, they would like act excited. But they, there was nothing there whenever you would tell them this. Well, you fast forward to 2019, the Marshall family was appointed to Papua New Guinea. In 2021, we, we got there and the Barnetts retired officially. They came back to the United States. And I told them the same thing. I said, in Jesus' name, we're going to have a Bible college in Mount Hogan, Papua New Guinea. And they all gave me the same response like, uh-huh, sure we are. So we had our national conference. And that year... I am so thankful that our borders were locked down due to COVID. I know that sounds crazy, but it, it, it changed the game, right? We, we always have people come over, and that's very important. Every year we have someone come over for our conference, and it, it gets a fresh wind into the church. I thank you guys for lending your pastor to missions the way you do. Because like he said, we was at a Latter Rain conference in, in 2015, and God just read my mail during those services. And, but this year, I was like, look, I'll open it up the first night. And then after that, it's on you guys. So the first night I get up and we, we, we begin to pray. And as I'm preaching, the prophetic begins to fall. And I, I begin to speak things into this congregation. We was having our service in a tent, though. 
And I'm sitting here telling them we're going to have this nice Bible college, right? Like, it's going to be awesome. And they was all like, uh-huh. Like, I had the blueprints. God had given me a vision. It's 8,000 square feet, five pillars to represent the tabernacle. It's going to be awesome. And they was all like, uh-huh. And as I began to preach, the spirit of Jezebel began to rise up. And we began to tear things down. The next service, I, we came in, and, and like I said, it was the Nationals preaching this time. And we had this guy, he's one of these preachers. Praise the Lord, everybody. In the beginning was the Word. I mean, you can really get behind that, right? I've seen like three or four people jump up and do somersaults in the bag. I mean, it, but he was up preaching. And we had built a platform in the front of this church, and it was three feet off of the ground. And as he began to preach, it didn't take him very long. The Holy Ghost hit this man. This man is 73 years old. The Holy Ghost hits him, and he takes off like this to the side of the, to the platform. And he does like this roll off. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to break his hip. <laughs> and, and, and as he's going down, I'm like... We, we don't want to go down like this. But as soon as his feet hit the floor, he takes a lap around this tent. And as he does every row that he goes by, the Holy Ghost, boom, 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 just falls on everybody in the house. And it was so awesome because as he's running, I, I, I'm up here and I'm seeing this happen. And, and the Holy Ghost has fallen. And, and, and there's like 1,500 people dancing in the Spirit. And it's like... Oh my goodness. But as an American, I had this preconceived notion of church, which is completely wrong. And as I seen him begin to dance, I'm looking for our musicians, right? I'm like, why are they not playing anything? And God began to, he, he quickened me and, he, and it was just like, why do we need music? And as people were praying, I'm looking for musicians. I look over here and we got four or five dancing. I look over here and we got two or three slain in the spirit. I look back here and we got three or four praying somebody through to the Holy Ghost. We don't need music. We need Jesus, right? We need God to move in these services. It's not always about hearing that perfect drum beat or that song that we think needs to play at the perfect time. It's all about letting God have his way. And, and as we began to watch this, the, the people were just dancing all around this place and God moved in a mighty way. One of the prophecies that came forth was about two trees. There was one tree that had been planted and it shot straight up right away. The second tree was planted and it took a little bit longer to get there. But once it got there, it surpassed anything that anyone ever imagined that it could be. A couple of months go by, and I'm laying in, here, here's missions, here's real missions, guys, for all of the people that want to be missionaries. It's 40 degrees, I'm in a church opening. They want me to sleep inside the church by myself, on a concrete floor with one sheet and one pillow. It's unforgettable. But as I was laying there, I get a text message from Brother Erickson at 3 a.m., said, Brother Marshall, I just want to let you know that you've been approved for the dollar a day program. 
He said, go ahead and go down to the hardware store and get the stuff you need to start your Bible college because we're sending you thousands of dollars so that you can get your Bible college started. They sent us enough money to buy every pillar that we needed, every rafter that we needed. They bought us concrete to pour the footers for the rafters. We have every piece of roofing that we need. So in Jesus' name, we're going to have a Bible college in Mount Hog in Papua New Guinea. And it's not because of anything we've done that was super spectacular. It's because there was a vision that was cast in 1994. Without vision, my people perish. That vision went forth and that seed was watered. And God done what God does. I always like to share one just awesome story. There was this, this man, and he was, he was in a tribal fight out by our house. I, I do a lot of Facebook Live and podcasting, all of that stuff, because I think it's important for people to see where we need prayer, right? I mean, we've, we've got this notion of, of ministers being these bulletproof guys that don't bleed, they don't cry, they don't get depressed, they don't ever go through anything. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's a lie straight from hell. We're human too, right? We deal with things in ourselves as well. So if you're hearing a podcast or you're seeing something on Facebook, it's, so, it's not for pity like my son said. It's so you know how to pray for us. So I'm out here on my phone while they're having this fight. And I'm that guy that everybody's making fun of. You see, you know, somebody fighting. You got somebody on their phone back there. So I, I'm recording this because people need to know this is going on. It's like 100 yards from our property and we need prayer. Well, as this is going on, it goes on for about an hour. And then after it's over, these two guys come to our gate and they say, Missionary, we need you. The gate was locked, obviously, with all that going on. So I go over and just kind of find out what's going on. They said, Our friend needs your help. So we, we go back and see what's going on. I get to this man. And come to find out the reason he needed our help is because someone had cut his, his neck with a machete. And, and he had laid there for the entire fight and he had bled to death. So I looked at him and I was like, oh, Jesus. And then they, they asked for prayer. They asked us to help. So I prayed a little prayer that sounded a little something like this. Jesus, there's nothing I can do. But these men brought him to us knowing that you could do something for this man. And this will be a great testimony of your greatness and your truth and what you can do. I said, in Jesus' name, if it be your will, you need to touch this young man. I prayed that prayer. We loaded him in the truck and we drove him to the hospital. We get to the hospital and he had been bleeding so long when we took him out of the truck, there was like three or four drops of blood in the bed of the truck. There wasn't hardly any in there. First nurse comes out, she grabs his wrists, she shakes her head, she says, we've got plenty of people from this fight. This man's dead. Why did you even bring him here? There's nothing we can do. That's really encouraging after you just prayed that God would move on this, on this young man. So we stood there for a couple of minutes and I, I, in a discouraged state, I was just like, you know what? That's not good enough. So I prayed again. I said, God... These men 
came expecting you. I said, they don't expect me to do anything. They said, I could touch you and you could move in this situation. And I need you to move. I need you to move right now on this young man. I said, oh, breath of life, breathe down on these dry bones. A few more minutes go by. By this time, we've been at the hospital 45 minutes. And this man was dead when we got there. The second nurse comes out. She grabs the young man's wrist. She holds it for a couple of seconds and she cocks her head. She said, we have to hurry up and get this young man inside. He has a pulse. His heart is beating. We need to get this man inside so we can take care of this. I'm here to tell you the God that rose those dry bones in the book of Ezekiel is still breathing down on people today. And if we have some crazy faith sometimes, God will do some crazy stuff just to show that He is God. And he, he moved on that young man. That young man, he's going around telling everybody. He was in the hospital five days. And all he knows is somebody prayed. And the, the, the God of all gods reached down into his mess and touched him. We had a young... Uh, I, I always say young man. I don't know why I say that. He's like, he's older than I am. And I'm old. But he, he had been a licensed minister with the ALJC for over 20 years. And I found out he didn't have the Holy Ghost. That's not okay. So I told him, I said, bro, you got to come out. We need to have a talk. He came out and he brought 10 guys with him because they thought they was going to bully me into letting him keep his license. Hear me, young people. I stand up on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E Bible. That's not just a song. That's a lifestyle. If we don't stand on the word of God, we're not standing for anything. So even though he brought him with him, I was like, bro, if you don't get it, you don't keep it. I said, there's three main reasons you won't receive the Holy Ghost. There's more than that, but three main reasons. The first one is you don't want it. If that's the case, just go ahead and go home. The second one is you don't understand it. And the third one is you have unrepented sin in your life. So we sat down. We've done a 30-minute Bible study on the Holy Ghost. I said, do you understand it? And his words were, I do now. I said, all right, we're going to go to the back and we're going to pray. We have a preconceived notion of church. We call this church, this is a beautiful, beautiful facility. This, though, is the house of God. This right here is the church. We don't have to worry about waiting a little, until a certain day to get to the, the church to get prayer, or to the church to get what we need, because we are the church. And we have to live way harder for Him out there than we do in here, because the people out there need to come in here and see how good and how great He is. I'm not telling you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The Bible talks about that plainly. Not to do that, right? But if we're living it out there, that's, that's where people see it the most. So they come to our house on a Thursday afternoon. And we begin to, to do this Bible study. I say, alright, now we're going to go pray. We go back and we all get down. I say, we're all going to get down and repent. We're going to pray about five minutes. We all got down and we prayed. He stood up. I said, do you understand it? 
You've repented. Do you want it? He said, yes, missionary. I laid hands on him and had everybody else get around and lay hands on him. And we began to pray. And I mean, he was going after it. We all know those, those people at the altar, right? It's like, I really want to touch from God. Uh-huh. So I look at him and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. And I'm, I'm just like, bro, you got to talk to God. And he's spiritual. He can't open both eyes because he's at the altar, right? So he opens one. And then he closes it, puts his, hand, his hands back down. And, and then a few minutes later, I'm like, bro, you have to talk to God. And finally, I get a response. He said, I don't know what to say. We hear all of these people praying all of these things. You know, you got this guy over here. It's like, oh, heavenly father, thou art great. Thy name is holy. Thy are worthy. I mean, we, we hear these things. It's like, man. But sometimes we just got to pray, God, I'm having a bad day. And if you don't reach down in the mess that I'm having right now, there is no way I'll ever make it through. Sometimes we just got to be real with God. And a lot of people's like, well, he knows, he knows my heart. I don't have to say anything. Yeah, he knows your heart, but he wants to hear you speak it, right? Because prayer is a communication. I said, just say Jesus. He began to say Jesus. He said it about five times. Something between that last time of him saying Jesus and that video that you saw with the, with the, with the man on his knees and the other man praying for him. That man was speaking in tongues because God filled that man with the Holy Ghost. After he had been tearing for 20 years, God was like, all right, now you understand it, you want it, so here it is. This is a promise. This is a promise. So if you need it, we're hearing about a man that waited 20 years to get it. But God reached down and he filled that man after all of that. That same man six weeks ago preached a revival. During that revival, he went down on a Sunday afternoon and baptized 26 souls in the name of Jesus Christ. All because there was a fire inside of him. A fire inside of him when God filled him with the Holy Ghost and led him into that place. From April of 2021 to June of 2022... In Papua New Guinea alone, we have 57 licensed ministers in 38 churches. Luke 15 and 7 says this. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one. Over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. In that amount of time, in 16 months, we've seen 450 souls repent of their sins. All of heaven rejoices. We saw 450 souls. We was able to baptize 283 of them in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And 165 were prayed through to the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. In June of 2022, we was able to go to Fiji where we had 13 churches. We went there for their national conference. They asked me to come preach. We get there the last night and this man, he comes in with a lot of people. He said, Brother Marshall, I need to talk to you after service. After service, we sat down, we had a meal. 
And he explained to me that in the early 2000s, a man came over, an apostolic man, and he planted a bunch of churches. He done it in one year, and after he planted these churches, he just left. He never came back. He didn't call. He didn't write. They have no idea where this man is. So they've been trying to keep it together for, for that amount of time. So I explained to him, you know, what we believe, who we are. That's important. Make sure they line up doctrinally. We don't want to take in a big headache. We want to make sure that they understand. They, they lined up doctrinally. After that, I told them about all the fun stuff that the pastor and the church secretary knows about. All that government paperwork that we love so dearly. And, and, and they hadn't done it correctly, so they wasn't even registered with the government yet. In a matter of 17 minutes, that's how long this conversation was. God didn't add to the churches in Fiji. He multiplied the churches in Fiji. We landed, we had 13 churches. When we flew out, we had 26 apostolic churches in the nation of Fiji. And God just keeps doing it. He keeps pouring on and pouring on and pouring on. We have a young man by the name of George Co. in the Solomon Islands, and he is doing a great work. He had three guys come to him and ask him for a Bible study. Home Bible studies is where it's at. Don't ever forget it. He gave these men a home Bible study. They got to new birth. They said, we have to do it. They repented. He took them down. He baptized all three in Jesus' name. God filled all three of them with the Holy Ghost in the water. They all came up speaking in tongues. They went back to the place where they were receiving the Bible study. And whenever they got there, they said, we have to tell you who we are. Come to find out these three men were bishops of a Trinitarian organization. They went back and baptized every one of their pastors in the name of Jesus Christ. Those pastors turned around and baptized all their congregations in the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of their pastors are now filled with the Holy Ghost and preaching the truth. And most of their congregations have been filled with the Holy Ghost and see, they see who Jesus is. Another man came to Brother C.O. for a Bible study. They get to new birth again. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, I want to get baptized. Brother C.O. sends me a text. He said, bro, this dude wants to get baptized now. My response was, what doth hindereth you? You live in the South Pacific for crying out loud. Go baptize the guy. And then I'm like, was that sound advice? I mean, we've all seen Shark Week. It all goes down in the South Pacific. So I'm laying there like, a few minutes later, I get a text. He said, bro, we, we got him baptized, but God didn't fill him with the Holy Ghost. I said, you keep praying. And as they prayed, God filled that man with the Holy Ghost. Two weeks went by and this man comes to Brother C.O. with keys in his hand. He said, Brother C.O., he said, I own a nightclub. He said, I can't be in the church and in the world at the same time. My God, if only half of us could get that. I can't be in the church and in the world at the same time. He said, I'm giving this nightclub to you. He said, we've been dancing for the devil long enough in this place. It's about time we start dancing for Jesus. Now we have waterfront apostolic church that wants 
was a bar. Now it's a nightclub and God is moving in a mighty way. Their first three weeks there, they were baptizing a minimum of 15 souls a week in Jesus' name. Out of those people that were coming, it was all people coming to a bar. But God had another plan. And whenever they came to get drunk, these men didn't leave drunk as ye suppose. But this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. Ain't he good? My God. The needs that we have, the number one need will always be, I say it every time, prayer. If you're praying for us, everything else will work out. You remember that vehicle that we came through for a few years ago? We had no idea how we was going to raise $35,000. Do you know 90% of that came from the Mississippi district? Thank you. Thank you. We're building a Bible college. That's something that's going to have to keep being given to time after time, year after year. Internet for the Bible college, the installation alone is $7,000 U.S. And $300 a month to keep that going. We need chairs for the Bible college. We need $250 to get started. They're $75 a piece. It's for those rodeo chairs. You know what I'm talking about? You sit down in them, that back leg kind of twists a little bit. You just, you're like, God, please let it hold on for eight seconds. Just please. It's those. Tables for the Bible college. We need, uh, we need 10 of those, and they're $175 a piece. I haven't asked you guys to amen. I haven't asked you to stand. I'm asking you to do one thing. I want you to go like this. Look at the toe of your shoe. So right now, our property is surrounded by chain link fence. You guys remember how safe Papua New Guinea is, right? Ask yourself, what in the world the dude that invented chain link fencing was thinking? Because this is the perfect size as that. He's like, I'm going to make something that anybody but Ryan Marshall can get over in like five seconds. It's like the perfect toehold, right? So we need new fencing. We're wanting to get corrugated fencing. It's $75 per section. We had 10 acres. We want to start with 500 sections. We're going to be shipping back solar lights and security cameras for our security because with a Bible college is going to come a lot of new faces, which is always a good thing. Please be sure to stop by our table out here. Be sure to stop by and see us. We, we have some things out there from Papua New Guinea. And we also have, I, I wrote a book back in 20-something. Stop by and check it out. And again, I want to say thank you, Bethlehem Church, for all that you do. Because you guys are awesome. If it wasn't for you, this guy right here wouldn't have heard a message in 2015. Way over on the other side of the pond. If you wasn't willing to let your pastor do what he does. A lot of times I go into churches and I'm like, man, I'd really like, like you to come, pastor. 
But I would like to give a formal invitation. Anytime, brother, you're welcome in Papua New Guinea. Especially in an election year. If it's an election year, you can, you can let, let Sister Bosca stay back. If it's not an election year, though, you would love it. We'll take you to a Kai bar. <laughs> Just like, leave me alone. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. Amen. How many appreciate Brother Marshall being with us tonight? How many believe that within the next two weeks we can raise enough money to pay for their chairs? I think it's $3,700. I'm going to give $1,000 tonight. I believe, how many believe in the next two weeks we can do it? Amen. Why don't we stand and pray? Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for this man of God and his family. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because you sent him to us. And God, I know that you sent him to those people to do a work for you. And God, I know we want to be a part of it. God, I know full well that when we shifted our attention to missions, that you began to bless this church with revival. And you began to bless people in this church as they gave. So God, I believe in the name of Jesus that you're going to do it again. I pray for the angels of the Lord to be with Brother Marshall and his family. And not only him and his family, but the entire church family, our brothers and sisters in the South Pacific. God, I pray that you would give us a special connection in prayer. That when they need somebody to pray, that you'll stir Bethlehem Church to do it, God. And not only this church, but this district, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen.